When it comes to maximizing time in the uplands, without fail, Onyx Hunt is my most valuable tool. From planning my next hunt through a new bird cover to navigating in the field, Onyx Hunt is truly with me wherever I go. With detailed mapping and satellite imagery, along with a multitude of map layers from land access to forestry and habitat information and easy-to-use tools to mark, measure, and catalog important information, Onyx Hunt seamlessly integrates digital scouting with boots-on-the-ground time in the field. With offline mapping and Apple CarPlay integration, you are free to explore the wild landscapes our beloved upland birds inhabit. Planning your next move in the uplands begins with knowing where you stand, and for me, that starts and stops with Onyx Hunt. Download the Onyx Hunt app today and use the promo code BSP20 to save 20% on your Onyx Hunt subscription. When the miles rack up faster than your flush count, that's when you'll truly appreciate your hunting vest from Final Rise. Built for the uplands and proudly sewn in the USA, the complete lineup of hunting vests from Final Rise, from their all-new Summit XT down to the minimalist Sidekick system, are all built upon the foundational load-bearing waist belt and low-profile shoulder strap system, which allow you to carry all the gear you need and do so comfortably while maintaining your ability to move freely and perform when you need to most. With a complete lineup of accessories and newly released performance field apparel, Final Rise has the gear you need to help you get the most out of every mile and every flush. Final Rise gear is built for the uplands. Get yours today at FinalRise.com. Welcome to the Project Upland Podcast, where we discuss all things upland hunting. We plan to take you into some of our favorite bird covers as we talk to the people that hunt them and the organizations that support them. We'll also break down the dogs, guns, and gear used to pursue them, and of course, we'll share the stories that celebrate this American tradition. It's one of those things that you do that, that feels timeless. My dad brought home our first Brittany when I was about 10 years old. The Red Gods are calling, and I must go. These are your stories. The Project Upland podcast is brought to you in part by Pine Ridge Grouse Camp. Adventure awaits. Hey, what's up, everybody? Nick Larson with the Project Upland Podcast. Welcome back to the show. We've got a great, great show for you today. I had a ton of fun recording the interview yesterday with our guest. I think you're going to enjoy it very much. We will get to that interview in a few short moments. First up, weekly winner alert. We've got another winner of Project Upland Gear. This week's winner is Andrew Wheeler. Andrew Wheeler. I will be contacting you shortly for you to select a hat or t-shirt from the Project Upland website. And you, the listener, could be next week's winner. All you have to do is one of these things. Share our podcast post. Leave us a rating on the podcast. Leave us a review and or subscribe to the podcast. Do any of those things and you could be next week's winner of the Project Upland Gear giveaway like Andrew Wheeler was this week. Quick reminder, the active promo codes that we have from previous guests of ours, Gumleaf Boots. Gumleaf Boots, you can find them at gumleafusa.com and you can use promo code PU2017 to get free shipping on anything from gumleafusa.com. Check them out. They are excellent boots. Shotcam. 
Find it at shotcam.com. That's S H O T K A M, shotcam.com, the world's most powerful shotgun camera. Check it out. There's videos of it. Very cool stuff that you you won't see anywhere else. Shotcam Shotcam does it like no other action camera on the barrel of a shotgun can do it. It's very cool. Check it out and visit shotcam.com and use promo code Project Upland. That's all one word, Project Upland, to save $75 on your order from shotcam.com. All right, let's do it. Today's interview, I was joined and entertained by our guest, Wes Larrabee. Wes Larrabee, if you are perusing Facebook often enough and spend time in the Upland groups, you maybe recognize the name or you've seen Wes out there, but but uh, really, Wes is a, a passionate, passionate upland bird hunter. He's out of Newcastle, Wyoming. And actually, Wes was the winner of our Project Upland Gear giveaway last week. And he and I got to chatting a little bit. And the conversation was interesting enough that I said, Wes, why don't you jump on a podcast with me? Because I think this would be fun to talk about. Wes, in the last few years, has really uh, dove into traveling upland hunting, traveling upland hunting. He really enjoys planning trips, picking out a bird, picking out a location, doing the research ahead of time, and then doing a traveling uh, upland wing shooting trip. And he's kind of perfected it in in his mind and sort of what he believes is is the ideal trip. Uh, it's a work in progress, but he he really enjoys the adventure and the exploration as many upland hunters do. So I think, I think this conversation will be relevant to a lot of us. And if you've thought about traveling upland hunting, maybe you haven't done a lot of it. I have not. So this was very interesting conversation for me. And I think Wes has a lot to share. He's learned a lot in, in what he's done. And he also kind of extends an offer at the end of the interview. If, if you have questions or are curious about, places that he's been to, birds that he's hunted, he, he was open to sharing advice and helping people out. Wes is a he's a really cool guy. He I, I enjoy talking to him and I and I think you'll hear that in our conversation today. So without any further ado, let's welcome Wes Larrabee to the Project Upland Podcast. Hey Wes Larrabee, welcome to the Project Upland Podcast. How are you today, man? Good. It's good to be here today. Yeah, we are. Uh, we're happy to have you. It's my pleasure to to have you on the Project Upland podcast. And uh, Wes, where are we? Where are we speaking to you from today? Newcastle, Wyoming. Newcastle, Wyoming, a, a place that uh, up until about five minutes ago I couldn't have pointed it out on a map, but I now know that you are just on the west side of South Dakota, uh, west side of the Black Hills National Forest. Yes, it's. Not very well known for bird hunting around here, but you're within very easy travel distance. You know, if you're not afraid to travel nine hours, you can get into some of the best bird hunting you've ever seen from right here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a, there, I know there's a, there's quite a few traveling, traveling wing shooters out there. And, and we are going to specifically talk about that a little bit today because you've got some, you've got some experience, but before we dive into all that, what's, uh, what uh, what have you been up to lately? It's kind of kind of the off season. I know you you mentioned that you're happy that the the temperatures were warming up and the snow has been melting. What have you been up to lately? How do you get through the off season? Well, I hope I tried to make it my off season end about the end of January, so you only have a few months of really cold weather to have to sit back and really do nothing. But every day <laughs> I try, you know, that I'm not actually working. 
I t- tried to get the dogs out, at least run them, you know, and get them, keep them in shape, which is a kind of a hard thing when you've had, you know, sub-zero temperatures quite a bit of the winter. <laughs> it's, it could get difficult to keep them thinned down a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. I like, I like your style. Uh, try to make sure, make the, make the season go as long as it can go. Um, and when you can sneak into January like that, you're right. It's, it's, it's not too bad of an off season to just to just try to squeak by a couple of a couple of cold winter months. That's that's kind of the same program we've got up here. Now, when you get the dogs out, can you get on can you get on wild birds uh, nearby, or or are you just pretty much exercising? Well, we do have small little groups of Hungarian partridge around, but they're few and far in between, and we do run into some sage grouse once in a while. But you got to keep your little practice birds quiet or guys really get into them hard and heavy and you run out real quick. (laughs) But we have a lot of public ground around BLM, Forest Service that you can get out and really run your dogs with. I kind of like hitting the Black Hills in the forest so they get a little hill climbing. Keeps them in shape a little bit faster. Yeah, it keeps you in shape too, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> and being my age, that can be a problem sometimes in the job I have. It don't, you know, I, my job doesn't really conduce to much physical exercise besides setting and running controls. So it's, it can, you can get out of shape pretty quick. So you got to try to keep in shape. Yeah, I'm right there with you, buddy. I, uh, my, my day job is, is not what you would say physically demanding. So, whatever I can do after working on weekends like you get out and run some hills and make sure the dog gets his exercise and try to keep up. That's about all we can do. I'm not really sure about running the hills, but I'll walk it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I'm with you on, on the, those, those secret little honey holes too. When, when you've got wild birds nearby, uh, you gotta, you gotta keep those on the down low a little bit, but boy, it's nice when you can, when you can get out and get your dog a, get your dog a point every now and then actually actually i had my dog out this morning and we hadn't there's a there's a park that we go to nearby and there are grouse in there we don't we haven't seen many this winter but today actually dog had a nice point on a rough grouse so that that got my got my blood boiling a little bit it was was pretty cool doesn't it it really gets you jazzed up after a couple months of not actually seeing your dog hit a hard point off of a full run and i love it (laughs) yep yep absolutely that's why we do what we do now what tell me about what is it like when a sage grouse gets up in front of you because i know they are the big bombers i've never seen one get up but what's that like well i finally experienced it two years two falls ago i guess it'd be in 2016 well 2015 i took my first bird dog and we went down to southern wyoming along the colorado border where i'd heard the sage grouse hunting was really good we hunted for 10 days never seen a bird but this is the worst part the night before the opening day there were three big cock birds standing on the the little two-track road i was going into this big basin to look for birds and there they were and we hunted there for 10 days and never seen a bird but i did learn something on that trip it was i was hunting the wrong cover i was hunting tall sage and i needed to be a basically hunting the more open sparse sage and i got into some sage grouse in montana that taught me that 
I was hunting the wrong cover that day, or I should say them 10 days. But when they get up, I can now, well, let's put it in easier terms. Now I know what cavemen thought when a pterodactyl came off the ground. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa, wow. Yeah, that's the first that's, big flock we got into me or my wife. We never pulled the trigger because we were just standing there in amazement. <laughs> I'd never seen anything like that. It was huge birds, but actually very, very easy to kill. When we did get into them the next day, we got our limit, two birds apiece. And I was shooting a 20, oh, my 16 gauge. My wife was shooting her 20 gauge and we we're just using seven shot. So it don't take much to put them big birds down. Yeah. Well, well placed, well placed shot will bring the bird down. That's uh that's yeah. sounds, sounds about right. Now, when you, you said you kind of learned something a little bit, you were hunting, you were hunting taller sage and then you started targeting that, that more sparse cover. Do you think that kind of concentrated the birds a little bit? Well, the way I see it is them sage grouse feed in the more open sage where they can see. They're not going to be in that sage that's above your waist. You know, it can be sparse above your waist, but there better be some short sage within that vicinity. And I was, you know, targeting everything I learned and everybody told me, you know, hunt within a mile of water and hunt this kind of sage. And I was, I was, I was hunting everything they told me to hunt. And then I figured out that we're hunting the wrong, the wrong height, the sage, I should put it. You know, them birds might go back in there and roost in the, you know, in the evening and in the dark, but they ain't out there in the daylight. They're out in that more open, sparse sage. Sure. Now, in that part it, of Wyoming, anyway, that's that's the only place I've hunted them here. Yeah. Yeah, but, but I mean, isn't isn't that isn't that just kind of what what makes upland hunting so fun? Is you know you can you can do all your research and do your reading, but until you get out there and put boots on the ground and start connecting the dots for yourself, I mean, you you can you learn so much by just being out there. It is, and it makes it more rewarding that way, and then you learn. You know, you know, we learn just like our dogs do. You know, but from experience, we. You know, my dogs now, when we go out, you know, they don't hit that heavy high sage. They're on, you know, they'll skirt around it, but they'll work the more open sparse stuff. And that's because they kind of remember where they get seen them before, you know, it's running, but working behind dogs is kind of a neat thing for me. That's, I, one, like I was telling you earlier, you know, I grew up in Eastern South Dakota and we had my my parents are, were, are farmers. So, you know, I had kind of open range to our, our farm. But when I was younger, you know, if you're a kid and you wanted to hunt, all you had to do was ask. And, you know, I had miles upon miles upon miles of country to cover, but every day I'd get off the school bus, walk the hundred yards to the house, grab a shotgun. And my first bird dog was an English collie. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it, that dog loved to hunt behind me and follow me every day. And it wasn't, wasn't the best, you know, retriever in the world. But I'll tell you that, that bugger saved me from getting wet many days, jump shooting <laughs> ducks out of ponds. <laughs> <laughs> what, yeah, what kind of... What kind of style did, did the collie have? I mean, was it, was just it just kind of like a flushing dog? Okay. He would work right. out. And, you know, 
we had a set of railroad tracks that ran right through my parents' property. And from one end to the other, it's a mile across. And I could walk that mile every day and get my limit of three roosters in that walk. Wow. Following that collie. But that was back, you know, in the eight, earlier 80s. Yeah. And I kind of get on my dad about the farming practices that people do anymore. They're just not leaving enough enough cover for the birds. But, yep. you know, farmers got to make money and I don't, you know, that's, that's their living. I'm not going to step on any toes with that. Yeah. You know. Yep, I hear you. It's you know it's one of those things where we you know we wish we could come up with a solution yeah. that ma- makes everybody happy and and is good for us, good for the farmers, good for the birds. But it's you know it's like anything else. I mean, there's 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 challenges there. Yeah, and if if it wasn't challenging, we wouldn't do it, right? Yeah, yeah. That's that's you know I, I don't care if I have to hunt a little bit longer every day to find some birds. That don't bother me. <laughs> I'd rather hunt all day and get a limp, you know, just get a couple birds, then fill a limit in five minutes and be done for the day. Yep, absolutely. You know, we go out there with the goal in mind, and of course we want to shoot birds and, and that, you know, that ranks, that ranks at a different, in a different sort of on the priority level. It's different for everybody, but, but yeah, there's something to be said about having having the whole day and if hey if you if you get close to your limit or you maybe you bag that 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 last bird right at sunset i mean that's probably probably the ideal day for for a lot of upland hunters yeah it makes it kind of special yeah you know there's been days where i've been and well like i was telling you earlier you know i've just got into the pointing dogs here well, my wire hair is going to be five this September, and I have a short hair that just turned three. And a guy, and you know, everybody says you only get one good dog. <laughs> yeah. Well, I got lucky. My my wife and daughter picked out my my wire hair for me. I wanted a female, and this pup went to them and started playing with them. They oh, we want this one. So I gave in, and I tell you, it probably wasn't the worst mistake I ever made in my life is I got two really, really good dogs, you know, and they might not be the best for anybody else, but for me, they're great. You know, they work how I like to work and I don't, it, everybody has a different breed standard, you know, everybody wants a different kind of dog, but, uh, I want every dog. (laughs) I don't care (laughs) what kind of dog. I'm just a dog guy. I love yeah. dogs and I, I, you know, I, I don't care what the breed is, but it's, it, it can get well. And I'd never trained a pointing dog, you know, when I was, I'm trying to do it by the book. Yeah. So I made a lot of mistakes. So I took my short, my wire hair to Ronnie Smith when he was two, after I'd hunted him two full years and he came back great i i that smith method is kind of the way to go if you ask me yeah yeah you've had they, sounds like sounds like you've had some success with it yeah it, myself personally i don't like to be in the field yelling at my dogs cuz yep. you know it, especially i i like to hunt the open prairies a lot you know i'll, I'll go to the timber and hunt the timber but I like to see the dog work more than I like 
to shoot birds, I think. So <laughs> it's kind of, and these prairie birds, they, they're spooky. You start yelling at dogs or whistling dogs, they learn real quick what that is. And they start flushing wild and you don't, you don't get no points. So I kind of like that silent command system that they have. It works for us here anyway. Yeah, well, that's that's what matters, Wes. I, no, I'm I'm right there with you. I, I'm I'm I've got I own my first bird dog right now, and I don't have a lot of experience prior to, but I I with some mentors and the people that that helped me out from the early stages, you know, I was fortunate in that they kind of schooled me in in the ways of of the less you say, the better. And yeah, and I try to try to follow that as much as I can, and I I I do think it makes for a more enjoyable hunt for for not only myself but but for the dog and for anybody else that's with you. Yeah. Or, you know, I've been to a lot of places, you know, in South Dakota that, you know, there might be another party of guys hunting, you know, a quarter mile away. They don't want to hear you screaming and hollering at your dog. You just got to let your dog be a dog. He's a dog. Screaming, hollering don't help. Yep, exactly. All right, Wes. Well, let's, before we, uh, before we jump into some, some fun uh, trip planning stuff, I want to, Cause you told me that you, you, you know, you touched on your roots a little bit, your upland hunting roots from walking the railroad tracks with an English collie, but you said you kind of, you kind of got out of upland hunting for a little while. Was that, were you, was another kind of hunting taking up that time? Uh, and yeah. Then, and yeah, it was. Get back into it. Well, it, the hunting part was, I love whitetail deer hunting. I All was right. addicted to it. And, and that, Along with that passion, I got into big game dogs. I had old-fashioned English dogs. I ran lions, bobcats, coons. At that, at one time, I had 13 of those, and I was gone every day. You know, when I wasn't at work, if I was, if it was nighttime, I was on some creek somewhere running, trying to catch coons. That that can be fun, but it was the deer hunting more than anything, and. Uh, it had to be, oh, four or five years ago. I started realizing I was becoming a hunter I did not want to become. It, you get, In what way? Well, a guy gets too obsessed with harvesting a trophy animal. You will do things that is not sportsmanly. And yeah. I didn't, I seen guys doing it and I did not want to become that. And in the last four years, you know, I live in the great state of Wyoming, probably some of the best big game hunting there is. And it doesn't even excite me anymore. Wow. It's, but I think my passion has turned to something else. Yeah. 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 Clearly you've got, you've got the passion. It, it's, it's, uh, it was instilled in you from, from way back when, and it burns. And so you've got to, you've got to focus that passion somewhere and, and good yeah. on you for good on you for making that transition and, and, you know, just being acknowledging the fact that you, you didn't want to, you don't want to go down that route. So you decided right. to you know, channel I, that energy. I love the fish in the summer and the dogs love being in the boat. And it's kind of funny. My wire hair likes to retrieve any fish you bring to the boat. He'll pick it up out of the floor and put it in the live well. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's a, that's a neat little trick. Yeah, it's, it's and my short hair likes to lean over the edge, and he he acts like my fish finder and stares at the water 
for hours on end looking for fish. <laughs> but, but like when I was growing up, I hated to read when I was in school. And uh, my parents were godsends. They went and found, they knew I was interested in hunting because, you know, I had BB guns when I was little. I would spend hours outside in our shelter belt hunting, you know, squirrels, rabbits. Yep. And they went and bought every magazine from outdoor life all the way through that you could think of to give to me so I would read. And that's where the passion started is reading them old, you know, from the 19th. I th- and what's funny is my mom was cleaning out her house and she found boxes of outdoor life, sports, of field, field and stream, all these magazines, you know, from like 1975, 76. <laughs> <laughs> that I saved yet and yep. earmarked pages of hunts I wanted to go on someday. <laughs> you, you know how it is. Yeah. Yeah. That's, well, yeah. that's kind of a, that's, that's sort of a foreshadowing the, the sort of upland hunting that you do today, isn't it? Yeah. It, and it, everybody has this passion in them. They just have to try it once. Yeah. And, yep. and they will be hooked. My wife was not a hunter until we got married. And when we got our first dog and went on our first trip, that's all she wants to do with me now. You know, when I plan a trip to go in the fall, we work at the same place. She plans her vacations at the same time I do so she can go on these trips. And it's kind of nice having your wife along with you. <laughs> yeah, you don't have pretty, to do all the cooking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's 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 awesome now what was it was it that do you think it was the dogs that got her interested in in hunting the most what was it yeah yeah i i, I really do she she loves these the dogs yeah. you know when we had when we got the first one she she spent a lot of time with him while i was at work so they bonded themselves and when I took him to training is when I got my short hair and she wasn't so sure about liking the short hair. She really likes <laughs> our wire hair, but now I'll come home. I catch them on the couch together, snuggled up and <laughs> she loves the other one just as much as she does the first one. <laughs> That's easy, easy to do. Yeah. And well, you know, I to let the cat out of the bag. I have a Ryman style setter coming here in the middle of april to add to this pack that's pretty cool now what what uh, now you said you you said you like you like all kind of dogs you're not you're not real you're not dead set on any particular breed so what 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 uh influenced that decision well when i got into this passion of upland bird hunting i bought every book on amazon i think that has ever written about upland birds nice and reading these stories of these old style English setters in the Eastern woods just resonated something with me. Sure. You know, and I just want to try one. I want to have a good dog of every kind of bird dog that there is by the time I can't hunt no more. And you know, some of most of these trips that I go on are for two weeks. Two dogs is just not enough. Yeah. And the worst thing is, if I let one out to hunt, I feel bad 
and I run them both at the same time. <laughs> I can't get away from it. <laughs> it, it's, it, it, it's got me in the past, you know, sore foot, but we'll take a day or two of rest in the middle, you know, and they'll heal up and get to feeling better. And we'll hunt really hard again for another five days and then come home. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hey, it's better than, it's better than, better than being stuck somewhere else. You're, you're out in the uplands. Yeah. You know, I don't want to take my vacations to Hawaii or, you know, somewhere exotic like that. I want to take it to the prairies or the mountains and, or even down South, you know, two years ago, I went to New Mexico on my first, well, I can't say that. I went to Idaho and quail hunted, well, quail hunted, chucker hunted, and huns and Idaho are spectacular. I had a blast hunting huns over there. We found lots and lots, but that was the first time I've ever hunted quail was over in New Me- or Idaho. But that January, I went to New Mexico for two weeks, and that was some of the fun, some the funnest times I've had forever. That was amazing. You were in kind of mountainous, open terrain, hunting these birds that, well, some would run, some wouldn't. That, that kind of made me into a quail guy, I think. <laughs> I kind of got a passion for these quail now. <laughs> That's cool. So, so we kind of touched on it a little bit now, and we've we've you've mentioned a few of these trips, but that's that's kind of turned into to one of your favorite things is planning planning these upland hunting trips. Many of them out of state. What I mean, obviously, we you talked about the magazines and reading about the trips and and that, but what what sort of fuels that for you? I want these dogs to be able to hunt every bird possible. You know, having my big game dogs taught me that if a dog can't do what its natural instincts and breeding is meant for it to do, they're not happy. Yeah. And you can tell the difference when my dogs have had to be, you know, just around the house here for two weeks. When we go hit the prairie on a long run. It's like they're smiling the whole way out. I got a side by side and I just chain them up in the back, you know, and we're running down the highway. They're both, they know where we're going and they're just full of excitement. And I, I, I love that drive in a dog and I'm going to do anything I can do to put these dogs in that position. But I want to see what these birds, where do they live? You know, what, what are they doing? You know, it, that, that's what kind of, you know puts it to for me is the finding a different bird you know i've hunted well the last three years i've harvested every grouse species except for ptarmigan here in the united states you know i've got chucker all species of quail except for the mountain quail hopefully this fall knock on wood (laughs) i'm trying to plan a hunt right now to do that and get that one found out and some of these birds that you know we've never seen before i you know they're beautiful i mean just the plumage on these birds when i went to new mexico i harvested all three quail species in new mexico a gambles merns and uh scale quail and then merns quail or montezuma quail like they call them in new mexico are probably some of the most beautiful birds i've ever seen yeah, they, are. they got that clown face and polka dotted breast. The first one I shot was a cockbird, and I just could not believe it. It was beautiful. 
So I want to see them all. Even this thing they call the Himalayan snowcock. (laughs) (laughs) That might be the last one that we go for, but it, it, I read, um, uh, can't think of the gentleman's name that wrote the book, you know, that hunted with his English setters, every one of the upland bird species. Yeah. Um, it got me going. And then, um, the gentleman that had Winston, the Brittany that from Montana, the now names are not coming to my mind here. Yeah. Was that in the, was that in the pointy dog journal recently? Well, some of it was, yeah. You know, he, he writes in the pointing dog journal and what's kind of funny is I called Chuck Johnson from the pointing dog journal because I knew he was a wire hair guy. Sure. Because I, I like to duck hunt too, and we have some pretty good duck and goose hunting around here. I wanted a versatile dog that I could do both. And I wanted a pointing dog. And I called him, and he's like, Well, you know, I don't really know of any on the ground right now that, you know, you would be interested in that would be good for that. And it was maybe two weeks later, he called me back and told me about a litter on the ground. And what the strangest part about it is, is the breeder was 20 miles from my parents' house, and I never knew there was such a dog around that country. <laughs> <laughs> so I got to go see my parents and <laughs> pick up my new pup. So that was <laughs> kind of nice, you know, and people are, people are willing to help. And that's kind of what I like about upland bird hunting really is the camaraderie of it all. Yes. You know, I've been to all these places and if I'm staying in a hotel or a campground, whatever we're staying at, and I run into another bird hunter, it's like my long lost brother. You know, I can set, I was in uh, Southern Nebraska this last November hunting Bob Whites for the first time. And there was three older gentlemen in the same hotel from, I believe they're from New York. And it was just like they were my grandfather. I went to supper with them every evening. We talked in the morning before we all went out hunting. We came back that evening and talk and go eat and come back and talk, have a drink, smoke a cigar, and just tell the story of the day. It was, and most guys, they will tell you, like when I went to Idaho, I was having having a hard time. When I planned my trip to Idaho, I brought my boat so I could run the Snake River along the Oregon border to get back away from the rope. So we did that for three days and we did, we found some quail, we found some chuckers, but we weren't really, it, it was kind of (laughs) tough. I'll admit it. Them (laughs) hills coming up out of that river Valley are a killer. (laughs) (laughs) You know, they say you hunt chuckers the first time for fun, the second time for revenge. And it Uh, is true. When you get into that, that chucker country, it is tough, tough. But boy, it was, it was a blast, but we wanted to find more birds and, you know, hunt a different area. So we went back in this one spot on this road and there's a gentleman from Basque, Spain, that comes to Idaho every year and hunts for a month and then heads to Arizona and hunts the rest of the winter. And Sounds he, like fun. yeah, he told me everything he knew about the chuckers in that area, you know, go here, go there. And this this gentleman was staying in that spot and hunting that spot and was willing to let me come in and hunt with him. 
you know, you just don't find that, you know, like when I, I was telling you about the whitetail hunting, you, you try to move in on another guy's woods, you're going to be in trouble, you know? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. It, yep. They, it's just different in the upland community how guys get along. You know, we might get mad when somebody's walking the field that we stopped, you know, planned for a week to hunt. And then you show up and you just move down the road and find another spot yeah, <laughs> if you can. Absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> you're right. I mean, there's always there's always those little things, especially, you know, you get excited and you're heading to a spot and somebody's there. And, you know, you might get a little tinge of uh, disappointment kind of thing. But, yeah, move yeah. on and find another spot. I, but I think, like you said, in general... Yeah the, yeah, the camaraderie amongst upland hunters is 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 cool, and, and you know that that's what makes a trip. You talk about being at yeah. the hotel and the three older guys, and you're you're you know sending each other off in the morning before the hunt and meeting up after the hunt. I mean, that's that's what it's about. Yeah, and like here's another perfect example: New Mexico. When I went down there, met a guy at a different hotel. We met well. I seen him at the gas station. I seen he had a a short hair also. And I'm like, Hey, you're quail hunting. He's like, yeah. And we got together the next day and went out hunting together. You know, I'd never met this guy before in my life. I knew, <laughs> knew nothing of him, you know? So then yep. a night before that I was eating at a Denny's and this gentleman sitting across from me goes, Hey, you must be here quail hunting. I used to quail hunt all the time. He goes, I haven't went in like five, six years since my dog died. And he goes, where are you going? And I, had my little map there and he goes oh go here go here go here go here and what's funny is we found birds in every spot he put on my map (laughs) and some or a lot of birds and a couple of them and it's just the nicety of it all is great yeah yep that's pretty cool you know you just bump into somebody at a gas station and and you know, an hour later, you're hunting a cover that, that they've hunted and, and they put you on. I mean, that, yeah, that, that yeah. stuff is really, really cool. So, um, I was going to ask you, is your, is your Ryman setter coming from anywhere in particular? Firelight Kennels in Kansas. Ah, that, I, I know that, I know that kennel name. I've, I've heard of some dogs coming out of there. Yes. Um, I, I was looking at the October setters also because since they're right over here on the Wyoming Idaho border, but they were a little booked up, I should say, you know, they have really good dogs, you know, and I didn't, I'm in the position where I don't want to wait too long before my dogs get too old before I bring another one in. So then I'm never out of dogs. When one retires, one's hitting their prime. So I'm trying to keep them about three years spaced out. Sure. Yep. Yep. A lot of, a lot of, a lot of people, a lot of up and hunters do that. I'm, I'm always debating in my head when I'm going to pull the trigger on the next one. It's uh, to, you got to have that dog power for sure. Especially if you're going to do trips like you are. Yeah. Well, what kind of dog are you thinking about? Another setter? I, I think the next one is going to be a setter. Yeah. I think the next one's going to be a setter. I've, I've been extremely happy with the one that I have right now and I'm really enjoying it. And I still am, pretty much a, you know, I'm a 99.9% rough grouse and woodcock hunter and, and, uh, seen a lot of great dogs of all different kinds of breeds, but, but I think the next one will be a setter for me for now. Yeah. I'm, I'm really looking forward to everybody tells me how much easier they are to train. Is that so true? <laughs> Boy, I, I am, I, I could not be the, uh, the worst guy to ask. I, I am an amateur trainer. I feel like I really got lucky. I, you know, I did enough research to get, 
a dog out of out of some great bloodlines from some great people, Northwoods Bird Dogs in Sandstone, Minnesota. I could not be happier with with my dog Hartley and and you know how his disposition and I think he's very biddable and I think all I've done is put him on wild birds for four years and and I think he's pretty much done the rest. Well, yeah, and you know my short hair, he's turned three. I I've done no training whatsoever with him. I've just when he was. Well, he was born in January, and that September, we went to Montana. And ever since then, all he's done is hunted wild birds. And what the most amazing thing is, is we're in Montana, you know. I just got my wire hair back from training, like two weeks before we headed out to Montana. And so they just got to know each other when we went up there hunting. And the first day... My wire hair goes on point on some sharp tails, and my short hair comes running in from the back, at a, and at about 70 yards, locks up backing. Hmm. Never, not, and he's done it ever since. Yep. It, it is so neat to see the natural ability of these dogs when they're bred correctly. Yeah, it's it's incredible, and and I think that is that is the luxury that we have, you know, with with so many so many quality breeders out there of all different breeds, you know making putting good blo- good bloodlines together and yeah and, and, and seeing breeds, if they the work continue and, to improve yeah and, and it's great to see i i love it it's yeah it's amazing <laughs> it really is it really is well before we uh before we ramble about too much stories i, I get a feeling we could yeah we could do this all night west um i want to i want to ask you a little bit about how you go about planning planning your trips now you know we, we talked about the exploration and seeing new places. I mean, there's one thing about upland birds. Upland birds and beautiful scenery go hand in hand. So that's obviously a big motivator. But how do you go about choosing a location? The first thing a guy has to do is pick out what bird you want to go after. Yep. And once you pick out a bird, see, I'll, I'll give you an example. My first bird that I planned a big trip was I wanted to go chucker hunting. You got to okay. find out what time of year is best to chucker hunt. See, I we have pretty good chucker hunting here in Wyoming in some places, but I wanted to go away from my own state. You know, I want to sure. get out and see different country. So we planned this, tra- this trip to the border of Oregon and Idaho. And my number one factor to find where, you know, if once I pick out an area I want to go to, like, say, Idaho, Onyx Hunt has helped me more than anything that that can help you. They yeah. have public ground, private ground. You can find these big chunks of pri- uh, public ground just on sitting on your on your computer watching TV. That's that's how I do it. Go in exactly. there, you know. And now they have this new app for your phone. I think you use that app on your phone, right? Yes, I do. Yes, I do. A shameless plug for, for Onyx Maps and Onyx Hunt. I, I I interviewed their director of, I think, marketing a while back, one of the first podcasts. I mean, but it is it is an incredible, incredible tool, and I, yes, I love it. And they deserve every like plug it. that they can get because it's it's yep. a godsend. It, yeah. it can plan your trip for you before you ever leave your house. And what's really nice is I run a Garmin tracking system the alpha with my dogs and that's a funny story how that happened <laughs> but anyway <laughs> they 
while they're out hunting, you can tell where your borders are, where a crick's coming up, what the topograph is. You know, I buy the Onyx chip to put in my okay. Alpha, okay. and I love them. I love it. It it works. I use it as my GPS while we're driving to a spot to hunt, and you can tell who owns it. You know, you click on whatever property, it'll bring up whoever owns that property. Then it's your responsibility yeah. to go find out, you know, telephone, where that, where they live, stuff like that. But the Onyx has made my trip for me. And then after you figure out where, you know, finding a place to stay is just as easy as the Onyx. You just go online. We found cabins to stay in. We found a little mom and pop hotel that had a basically apartment. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. The yeah. little hotel that has the kitchenette and refrigerator freezer. So we yeah. never had to, you know, we could freeze our birds every day. We came back in after we cleaned them, you know, they're frozen for the trip home, you know, and I do like camping and we have done it that way, but I just usually have a bedroll that goes in the back of my topper. If I'm going to stay at a campground, then I can be more accessible since, you know, if you're on uh, forest service or, you know, you can camp for 14 days and never have to move. So if you have yeah. a little camper, you can pull, it's just finding and getting to that close to that area, I should say. Cause when we're in Idaho, we did travel a lot in the same way as New Mexico and Kansas and Nebraska <laughs> and Montana. But <laughs> the list goes on. <laughs> yeah, it I try to plan at least three to four trips a year. At my job I get a I get four weeks of vacation. But what's nice about my job is I work this weird schedule of nights and days throughout the month, but in all actuality, I only work fourteen days a month. There's one seven days every month that I don't have to go to work. So I plan my vacations to fall with, with that seven days or ah, before sure. or after. So that's yep. two weeks that I'm gone. So, you know, you, you think about it from September to January, I'm gone two weeks out of the year, you know, out of that month, at least yeah, or trying yeah. to be, you know, somewhere. And that's, it's, that's, that's great. That's a lot of, that's a good, nice chunk of time to work with for sure. Yeah, and a guy, if he doesn't have that long a time, you, it, it's different for everybody. I, yeah, I, I, I do it sometimes. We come off of night shifts, and I'll have three days. Well, counting that morning is one of the three days I have off. I'll head out to a close state like eastern Nebraska or eastern Montana, right up here north of us, or you know, head down to Nebraska somewhere where there's big, you know, chunks of walk-in or, you know, public access ground somewhere and just do and stay in the back of my pickup for a couple of days and do it that way. You know, within, you know, I can drive from here and be in great bird hunting in Nebraska, South Dakota, North Dakota, Montana, Colorado. There's some good hunting in Colorado too. And within five, six hours of my house. And a guy just to have, don't be afraid to do it. Yeah. It's it, guys get hung up on money. It's not that expensive. Every trip I've taken so far. And well, from 2016 to now, I've been on eight trips out of state 
and I have not spent over a thousand dollars. Wow. Yeah, that's pretty good. I mean, you know, I, I get the sense that, you know, of course, everybody's got different, everybody's got a different schedules and different blocks of time that you can work with. But the key, I think that you're, you're hitting on is, is the planning. You're, right. you're looking ahead, you're looking ahead, you're planning, you've got to do your research ahead of time, find where you're going to stay. You know, if you set some of those variables and remove the uncertainty from that aspect, then you can just go have fun. Right. And your research comes from anywhere. Here's yeah. a perfect example of research. Every spring, me and one of my my closest friends, we go to Fort Peck, Montana and go walleye fishing. And a rancher has these little cabins that he's built. And they're, they're actually really nice. I'd love to own one. And he has old magazines in there. And, and one of the magazines that he gets that he puts in there every, like, I guess it's a monthly prescription. It's called Montana Outdoors. This magazine I picked up was from 1984, and there was an article about Franklin grouse and blue grouse in there. So I read that article, and it gave an area of where this photographer was taking these pictures of these blue grouse and Franklin grouse. So I planned our trip last September for two weeks around this area, and let me tell you what, it was spectacular. Wow. We found... Franklin grouse, blue grouse, and the surprise of it all was I got to harvest my first rough grouse ever on the first day. The first bird was a rough grouse. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> yeah. And, and all it was was reading this magazine article from a long time ago. That's crazy. 1984, I mean, that's you know 30 years. And so the were you hunting public land? I mean, it's just, it's, it's, it's yeah. almost amazing that, that, that the land, you know, written about 30 years ago is still there. Yeah. It, it was all forest service and it, it gave the crick that you wanted to drive up to find these birds in that wow. article. So I, first thing I did when I got home was I jumped on Onyx, <laughs> and I <laughs> went to that section of Montana and I dissected it and looked at, at the name of every crick and drainage in that area, found it found the closest town and found a gentleman that there it's really big fly fishing over there. So okay. yep. September isn't so big fly fishing. So these guys are looking to make when they're renting a place, you know, like cabins or whatever, that's the off season for them. Sure. We rented our cabin, fully furnished cabin. It was beautiful for $400 for the, for two weeks. Two hundred dollars a week. Yeah. Wow. And all it was was I clicked on the the uh, what do they call it the commerce for the city. Sure. And it yep. came up with all the places that rented places, and I just started clicking on them to see you know what anybody offered, and then started calling places. And this place came up, and I'm like called him, and he said, "Well, I'll, I'll rent it to you for four hundred for the two weeks." And the best part is he didn't care if I had my dogs. Wow. <laughs> so it was kind of, it was really nice. <laughs> yeah. That's a, I mean, shoot, 200 bucks a week, pet friendly. In a log cabin. Yeah. And, yeah right down along the river. And, oh, it was wow. beautiful. That's, that's awesome. But, the, but the bird hunting was, uh, I've, you know, I've never seen, you know, I, I've never, I'd never hunted spruce grouse. I've hunted blue grouse before here in Wyoming, but never spruce, never, 
you know, partridge, rough grouse. I'd never, never even seen one. And the first bird we pop onto that day and the wire hairs on a hard point and the short hairs in the thicket, just as locked up as could be. And a young rough comes out and luckily I got a shot because that stuff is as thick as the <laughs> hair on a dog in that country. <laughs> yeah, but I was really pretty, worried about cool. the forest fires last year over there. Sure. And I, yeah. I just called the forest service and they said, well, where do you want to hunt? And I gave them the area and they're like, Oh, you're, you're good. Don't, don't not come. You know, these, and I felt bad for the, you know, the state of Montana last year when we drove yeah. up there, it, it was terrible. It was smoke yep. from border to border until we got to the west side of the fire. And, but there'll be regrowth, more cover. Yeah, there will. Those, those fires are they're they're big and big bad and ugly and you know there's a lot of there's a lot of research going into especially conservation organizations that are looking into what what the forest service has to has to spend on putting out fires now because they you know it's a it's a a bad cycle because they don't have the resources to do the management or or there's too many i think we've went a little a little too long without a little thinning and here in the black hills we can really tell it that's yeah. for a different podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right about that, Wes. Absolutely. Uh, that wow. That that that's really cool. I, I mean, one thing I wanted to touch on. Um, we we mentioned Onyx maps. Now, I get the sense that you're hunting a ton of public land, but you did mention you did mention landowners, which is neat because Onyx maps, you know, has never made it easier to see who owns the land. Have you had success? hunting private land do you even try i mean do you try to try to look some of these people up i haven't had to that's the great part okay. about hunting in the you know this the, the western united states there is yes. more public ground here than you can cover in your lifetime yeah but the reason why i mention that is like montana when we when i plan a trip there to the eastern part or the central part they have that the block management that's a godsend to guys you know, some of them, are, there's two different types. One is a type where you can sign in at the post and you're free to go for the three days. And the other one is you have to contact the landowner and he fills out your paperwork so he knows who's going to be there, you know, what kind of vehicle you're driving. Okay. And, well, in eastern Montana, finding some of these ranchers' homes can be a little difficult (laughs) especially when you're 15 20 30 miles from town in the middle of nothing and you're like well i can see if a ranch house over there and one over there and you know if you're at the wrong one they'll they'll point you in the right direction i should say a lot of ground to cover though yeah don't you know and guys can't be afraid to just go ask and talk to these farmers you know I, I listened to Tyler Webster's, you know, podcast there in North Dakota and I've hunted up there. Yep. Don't be afraid to talk to them. That, you know, if the, like he says, you know, if, if they're saving it for deer hunting, that's the only thing they're wanting to do. You know, most of them, cause that's all these guys, you know, farmers have time for, you know, they're harvesting in September, October, sometimes, you know, the first part of November and the, about the only season that they have to enjoy for themselves is deer hunting. You know, let them have it. That's, that's, they, and then after that, usually they're like, oh yeah, come back here or go hunt over on this part of my ground. I'm not deer hunting over there. You know, the big bucks hanging out over here. You can hunt over there. 
but I can remember as a kid, you know, being intimidated to go talk to a landowner, but, but don't be afraid of them. It's, but the public ground is, you know, that's all I've hunted so far, except for some block management there in Montana. Yeah. Well, that's good. It's good to hear. I mean, I mean, we all want to hunt public land and, and it's, well, it's it's ours. We need to use it. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. It's, you know, we fund it. We, we fund the management and the conservation of it. And, and it's, it's awesome for everybody that has access to it. You know, that that's, that's the way we want it to be. But it's, it's also, it's also nice to point out that a lot of, a lot of uh, landowners are very, you know, if you're respectful and, and you treat them with respect, you know, there's, there's other options out there as well, which is good to hear. I mean, that, yep. that's, leave that's the good. gates the way you found them or yeah. ask them what you want to do with gates that are open. If you find them, don't leave no trash behind. And here's one of my pet peeves, guys that just let their sh- empties lay out on the ground in somebody else's yep. property. You know, yep. I, I, uh, I won't, don't want to say it too loud, but sometimes when I'm hunting quail, I use a semi-auto. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's on recording and, now, Wes. Yeah, and I tell you, I will search longer for that than I will a down bird to find that dang empty shell if I'm walking on somebody else's ground or even on public ground. You know, I, that's you. one of my pet peeves. If I walk by one and I see an empty laying on the ground, I pick it up. I take it back to pick up with me and put it in my pickup and... It comes home and goes, goes in the recycle bin. I cut the brass off of them and put the plastic in recycle on shells that I don't reload. Yeah, I'm I'm with I'm with you on that, Wes. And, you know, and and I'm not afraid to admit I was a I was a young kid, you know, in high school. We all were, walk, Nick. You know, yeah, we walking, we all did it trails. that way. You know, exactly. we all did Leaving. stupid things when we we're growing up, but we learned. Yep. Exactly. Yep. And, and I'm the same way. If I see a, if I see a shell and a cover that I'm hunting, it's, it's going in my vest for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I'll tell you the story about my Garmin. I was blue grouse hunting down along the Colorado Wyoming border. I drew a trophy antelope tag for down there and I did not shoot an antelope, never even spent a day looking for them. I, Went bluegrass hunting for 10 days instead. (laughs) (laughs) But we were hunting on a cross-country ski trail. And we're back. I mean, we're back in the mountains, probably seven miles, eight miles on the ski trail. And a thunderstorm rolls in and I lost my dog. It was raining and thundering so loud. He couldn't hear my whistle. Oh, boy. He couldn't, I don't even know where he went (laughs) to this day. I could not tell you where he went, but I learned lost your dog. Yeah. Wow. But I learned when I was hunting my big game dogs, you know, my, my hounds, you throw something of yours, like your jacket, whatever on the ground, they will come back where they left you and they will be there. So I was tired of getting wet. So I went back to the pickup. And this is, you know, it was, I think, 10 o'clock in the morning. I made it back to the pickup round one. And I said, I better go back in and find him. So I went back in, you know, and I threw my jacket down on the trail. And I went back in and there he was laying on my jacket. No way. Yep. So I drove the four hours back to Casper that night, slept in the sportsman's warehouse parking lot 
and bought a Garmin tracking system the next day and drove back and went back for nothing. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, a happy Garmin Alpha user ever since, right? Ever since. You know, I, I've never tried any of these other ones. I've just had a lot of luck with this one because it runs yeah. these Onyx chips in them. And that's, yep. that was a good thing that I got the Garmin because it's compatible with the Onyx chips and I, it's it's enjoyable to know where my dogs are at all times now. <laughs> yep. Yeah, absolutely. I'm with you there. I'm I've, I've got the Garmin Alpha and I love it. And it's yeah, I mean, peace of mind. Yeah, I've never I've never lost a dog like you have, but I've I've had you the won't Garmin now. Alpha ever since. Yeah, and, and you know, hopefully, well, unless uh, something unless your battery dies or right, know, right. I just knock on I always wood, make but... yeah, I always make sure I charge my batteries every day. I change my batteries out every year. I order new batteries and re put in new batteries in my system every year to play it safe because you know these dogs are like my children i have a daughter but i don't know she's in college now so she's not home so they get all my attention (laughs) (laughs) yeah well you're you are not alone there wes i mean it's everybody everybody that that's got that's got bird dogs that i talk to you know they're those dogs are family members and We'll be we'll be in big trouble with with uh, the people at home if we don't come home with them. Yeah, but we were digressing there. I'll go back onto my kind of my hunts and call your game and fish departments of the states you're wanting to go. They will help you yes. as much as they can help you. Besides, give you a point on the map of where to go hunt these birds. And I wait yeah. every year for my, you know my pheasant forever and quail forever outlook books to see because i am kind of a number junkie sure, sure. <laughs> and you know i i was almost in your neck of the woods this last fall because that rough grouse was really calling my name but now it's the woodcock <laughs> Ooh, yeah <laughs> now that well, yeah you're, probably, you're not gonna find west, those out west this well I have seen them in South Eastern South Dakota, but I never knew okay, what they were yeah. when I was growing up. You know, sure, uh, sure. If if you don't ever shoot one, you never know what they are. And I was never a snipe hunter, so I always just let them go. But now I know after reading and looking in books, I know what these birds are. But yeah, you know, your guys's numbers were through the roof last year with your drum counts, and you know from everything i've read and heard you know your guys's numbers weren't as high as everybody is expecting yep. but a guy can't let that get you down no it's the experience of being there and some of the country we see is amazing because yes, dogs sir. will dogs will lead you to places you've never thought you know i've there's a perfect example when we went to idaho me and my wife did a 13 miles in and 13 miles back in one day and the dogs were shot we were shot but the dogs were working up this one last big big ridge and i thought i don't know if i can make it to the top of that and (laughs) the short hair goes on point the wire hair goes on point and i'm like they're 200 yards away from each other i'm like well, they got some kind of birds pointing up here because they ain't moving. And buzzer on my alpha's going off. You know, my point, my point <laughs> buzzer's going off. Yep. And I'm like, yep. I got to drag it into me one more time to get up this last hill. And we found a covey of probably 200 hunts. It was, it was amazing. 
And that was the last point. Well, I shouldn't say that's the last point we had that day because we've got three more birds coming back out that we kicked off. That <laughs> well, 13 hill, but, miles to cover. Yeah, but it go over that last hill is what I will say. That one yes. last hill might be the surprise of your life. And yes, where you find these is... birds is they can be in all different kinds of cover. I was telling you the story, you know, about the sage grouse. I learned that ain't the kind of sage you want to be hunting. It's the other kind. You know, 10 days, and I can't remember what our mileage was. I try to keep track of my miles in my log. You know, I yep. log it in every day, how many miles I did, how many miles the dogs did. And I think in them 10 days, we went, oh, I don't know, 163 miles, I think, and not a bird. But That's boy, I tell you, it was fun. I never pulled yeah, the trigger, fun. never seen them. Well, like I said, you know, I seen them three big cockbirds on the road the night before, <laughs> but I was, I was just hunting in the wrong, you know, all I had to do was walk a mile in the other direction and I was in the right cover. Yeah. I just misjudged the cover. I was told to hunt, but yeah. I'll never and make you, that uh, mistake would, again. <laughs> yeah. You eventually, you learned it by keeping at it so, so do you have any big trips hill. this this year nick that you're this planning year, this year i do not have anything planned as far as as far as big out-of-state trips uh, my wife and i are actually we're expecting our first uh, child here any day now oh, so congratulations so, that, yeah that's... thanks wes i appreciate that so that'll that, that's going to shake things up a little bit but as you know i'm i'm fortunate to have great rough grouse and woodcock honey in my backyard so I, yep. I won't be, I won't be, uh, short on, on days to hunt, you know, at least getting out in my own backyard, but I, I am looking ahead to, I think 2019, we are, a couple of guys are, we're chatting about trying to make our first trip out West and we are, we're talking to Tyler Webster actually out in North Dakota. So we yeah, uh, he's, might mosey out that way. I'm headed to Arizona with those guys in January for their oh, big yeah, quail great. hunt. That's Excellent. You know, like I was telling you, I like to try to keep my season run into January. So yep. then it ain't such a long off season before we get the weather to start being able to be outside and do some training and, and yep. keep the dogs tuned up for the next year. But that'll be a fun trip. Yeah, that will be, that will be, I, I know I, uh, I've enjoyed listening to, to their, those guys, their experience last year. And I think, uh, I think that'll be a good one for you. Yeah, it's, well, if it's anything like New Mexico, it'll be a blast no matter what. <laughs> uh, boy, Wes, we could go on all day. Before I, before I let you go, I want to ask, you mentioned, you mentioned that, that you sometimes carry a semi-auto, but we didn't talk a lot about guns. What's, oh. uh, what's, in, your, what's in your arsenal? Well, I have an English, uh, German Emil Kerner 16-gauge that is probably the my most favorite gun in the world to shoot it's a light just 6.1 pounds and mm. uh it's it was a gift for my birthday for my wife which was really happy i found it <laughs> online and she paid for it <laughs> that kind of deal Bingo. but but i tell you i had never shot a side by side till i got this one and got these bird dogs because i was always told hey it's like shooting a garden hose and now I'd rather carry that than anything else. But I like, like a dandy. I like to shoot a 28 gauge. Okay. Just wish I could find a 
reasonable price used you know vintage 28 gauge that didn't cost so so much they are tough to find aren't they that they are i've been looking for well since i got this kerner that i've been trying to find one so i just went and bought me an over under 28 gauge love shooting that little gun yeah the, uh, i never knew that it would be a perfect well i like to carry my 16 gauge when i'm sharp tail hunting but carrying that little 28 you know weigh 5.1 pounds and it brings birds down just as well as my 16 so yeah that's a a six you know just over just a hair over six pounds 16 gauge that sounds like a that's a slick shooter well and i couldn't you know it when i bought this gun the guy the gentleman that had it online didn't know nothing about it took it in never did any research on it and i was kind of skeptical you know about throwing you know two grand down on a shotgun that i hadn't even laid eyes on but (laughs) the engraving on did you go on my facebook page and look at any of my birds that we got last year my wife took a picture of a franklin grouse with his head over my 16 when it was broke open and just the engraving and the detail in this these guns are quite amazing they 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 knew how to make them back then yeah now i saw i saw a bunch of your pictures i didn't see and i I noticed the gun right away but i didn't see any close-up pictures so i'm gonna i'm gonna get back on there and check that out because yeah yeah i mean that's probably the most i when we got home i went on uh online and ordered a picture blew up of that picture it's cool it's a beautiful picture got the kind of fall colors in the background that old that old 16 broke open boy it was and swings nice shooting huns you know with it is kind of i thought you know i've got to carry my semi-auto you know when i'm hunting huns and chuckers and i'm the type of guy if i buy a gun i'm gonna use it you know that that 16 gauges went down quite a few little draws and canyons <laughs> and brush <laughs> it don't look as sweet be. as it did when i the day i bought it <laughs> but i try to kind of take a little bit more care of it but sure it's sure. it's and it's the kind of the nostalgia of it you know like yeah. you read these old stories you know of these guys and you know they all had break open guns I kind of kind of like yep. the old style. I like old things. Yeah, I do too. I do too. I wasn't always that way, but but I'm 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 there now, and I enjoy it. It's it's a lot of fun. Yeah, I, I will never complain carrying my. I got a Benelli uh, Legacy twenty gauge. Okay. I yep. I'm not a big twelve gauge guy. Everybody owns a twelve gauge, sure. but I carry this little that little Benelli when I'm quail hunting sometimes and. On that last hill, you know, you can tell the difference between it. That one pound kind of <laughs> yeah. sometimes makes a big, big difference after four <laughs> or five long days of hitting it hard. But yeah, yep. you know, guys shouldn't be afraid to carry whatever they own. You know, it don't matter no. what it costs. I, no. Well, my first shotgun, you know, that I was handed down was an over under twenty two four ten was the first thing I ever shot. And it was a hammer gun. Go. Wow. And yeah, it I I couldn't tell you what the brand is. I think it's a Savage, but it had a hammer. And I killed more pheasants with that 410 than I have the rest of my life. <laughs> and dubs and you know, 
Well, and in eastern South Dakota at that time, we had Huns and Bob White quail. You know, I can remember shooting some quail in the neighbor's shelter grove or, you know, a little shelter patch. But and I always shot them with my little 410, 22 over under because you had the 22 in case you found a squirrel, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta have that. <laughs> yeah, oh, so it's, man. you know, it, to me, you know, a gun is a piece of equipment. Yeah. But I do like the doubles anymore. I'm always online looking at all the fancy ones, wishing, you know. <laughs> it's dangerous. Oh, I know it is. The wife <laughs> caught me the other day. I was, before I went to bed, I had looking on my phone on Guns International at some, and I have all the good ones I want to buy, you know, saved on my phone. And she's like, what are you doing? <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. that's There's there's a joke in there somewhere, Wes. That is hilarious. <laughs> yeah. Thinking the guy's looking at other stuff in exactly. here. I'm just staring at pretty shotguns instead of pretty girls. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Man, that's too funny. Wes, well, I, I know we could, we could go on longer and I'll tell you what, we're going to have you back on the podcast because this was a lot of fun, man. I really appreciate, yeah. really appreciate you coming on. It was and fun. Here's, here, I'm going to throw this out to all the guys that are going to listen to your podcast. If they have yeah. a question about, you know, here's the States I've hunted in New Mexico, Colorado, Nebraska, Kansas, North Dakota, Montana, Idaho. If they have a question and want to go hunt where I've hunted before, have them hit me up on Facebook. I'll I'll give them any advice I can give them to get them out. I want to see yeah. more guys in the field. You know, most guys aren't like that, but I don't have secret spots. Well, I guess I can't say that. I have little secret spots right here around my house, but I don't shoot them birds. I just run the dogs and let them point birds once in a while. But... I don't ever plan on going back to those spots. I want to go find that next spot over the next ridge. Yeah. I kind of have that wanderlust, you know, of yeah. what's over the next hill. And I'll tell you, just go and enjoy. It's, it's the best thing you will ever do is just take a week and just go see what you can find. If you don't shoot a limit of birds, you know, I, ho I hope the guys would be all right with that. And, you know, there's guys that aren't all right with that, but that's okay, too. I just like yep. being out there, you know. It's it's better than being on the beach on in Maui in January, isn't it? <laughs> well, I don't know. Maybe not. <laughs> I haven't been there in yeah. January. But... Could, could, be, could be close. Maui, Maui's pretty nice, but, but yeah, uh, I've, we're, we're I've been there once in my life. And <laughs> I always say I never go back to wherever I went. But, I've, you know, there's places I would like to go back to. Yeah. Bird hunting, because, well, like this spot we found in Montana, a gentleman, I had posted them pictures on Facebook, you know, with them Franklins and stuff last year. And it wasn't 10 minutes later. I had, I don't know, like 10 or 15 messages from guys on Instagram. Hey, where are you hunting at? I'll trade you this hunt <laughs> for this hunt. And I just say, hey, I'll tell you right. Here's the place I'm staying. <laughs> and it's good and cheap. And it's a great place. You bring your fly, fly rod if you're a fly rod fisherman. Because, oh. you know, there's, I can't remember what the name of the river is right there. But it, it, it's one of the world famous blue ribbon float rivers there in yeah. Montana along close to the Idaho border. Beautiful country. And yeah, bears. Absolutely. Oh, that, yeah. was a, that was the first time I ever hunted the mountains with these grizzly bears well besides elk hunting when i was a few years ago but 
luckily we never seen any. <laughs> the wife <laughs> was a, the wife was pretty worried about that when we we're in some of these places as thick as it was. But yep. don't be afraid to get out there and try it, guys. It's and how easy it is to figure out where to go. Yeah. Yeah, you know, that's great advice. I appreciate you you yeah. offering that up. I was I was going to ask you about that. Well, I'll I'll throw a link to your Facebook page or something in the yeah. in the uh, the podcast post and you know, and yeah, and you I, know, it's you know, I'm on I think most of the listeners oh, go ahead. I'm on Facebook just as my name, Wes Larrabee. Just look me up, yep. hit me up, send me a message, and I'll tell you anything you need to know, but like you know, I I don't I'm I'm not sponsored by anybody besides my paycheck that comes from the job I do every day. But yeah. you know, I, like we we're saying, Onyx Hunt that their map system will get you to the places you need to go, and it will yeah. find you little out of the way places that nobody knows about. Yep. Them are the yeah, we're not the a, nice we're not little to advertise ones that for Onyx. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I I wish those guys had make it a little bit easier. I can't figure out that deal on my phone. So I just do it on the computer. <laughs> well, the co- you know what? The computer application is nice, but, but yeah, it's uh it, it works real well on the phone too. But uh, if you, uh you make it out to, to Minnesota, Wisconsin, Wes, I'll, I'll show you how to use it. Well, you betcha. My, my sister lives in outside of Minneapolis there, her and her husband are teachers there. So I might have to make hey, it your way someday here. You've got a re- you've got a reason to, to head on out this way. And yeah, I, I uh that that offer is uh that offers there. I'd I'd love to show you around a little bit. And if you ever want to do one of these sage grouse shoot these big big birds, you let me know. Yeah. I got I I know now where to go in this state. <laughs> I don't have to travel <laughs> to Montana to hunt them. But yeah. we have a short season, you know, it's only twenty days. Sure. In most of the state, like where I live here, it's only two days. So and we don't have many here, so I don't like to bother them too much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let them come back cool. some more. Well, it's uh, like I said, Wes. This, this was uh, it was really fun for me, and uh, appreciate you coming on the Project Upland podcast. Thank you so much, and uh, we'll keep in touch, and we'll have you back on sometime. All right. You bet, Nick. Take care. All right, everybody. That wraps another episode of the Project Upland podcast. Thank you for listening. As always, this week's episode was brought to you by our friends at Pine Ridge Grouse Camp. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please feel free to share this episode, leave us a rating, leave us a review, subscribe to the podcast. If you do any of those things, you might just be next week's winner of the Project Upland Gear Giveaway. As always, we appreciate your feedback. Please feel free to contact us at projectupland.com or by emailing me directly, nick.larson at northwoodscollective.com. Thanks again for listening. See you on the next episode. Onyx Hunt is the number one hunting GPS app. Join millions of other hunters who trust Onyx Hunt to find more game, discover new access, and hunt smarter. Onyx Hunt shows you nationwide public and private land boundaries. They've got topographic and 3D maps. You can track your route, location, and elevation profile. You can save maps for offline use and take Onyx Hunt with you wherever you go. The most comprehensive hunting tool you'll own Download the Onyx Hunt app today and use the promo code BSP20 to save 20% on your next Onyx Hunt subscription. Know where you stand with Onyx. Hey everyone, this is Nick from the Gundog It Yourself podcast. If you enjoyed this show, then you might want to check out my show as well. We highlight and break down the ins and outs of training your own hunting dog. 
Whether it's a bird dog or even the occasional hound dog episode, we cover all topics related to hunting dogs. Check out Gun Doggy Yourself on any podcast streaming platform and hit the subscribe button to be sure not to miss any future episodes.